0: Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer together this morning as we prepare to go to the Lord's Word. Father in heaven, our hope, our hope is in Jesus Christ. The precious blood shed on the cross by Christ on our behalf. The work accomplished and finished there. Conquering death and hell and sin in the grave on our behalf. What a precious reminder we have this morning as we sing of the cross of Christ. And what a day that will be when we meet Jesus face to face. And we behold Him in all His glory. I pray, Lord, that You would help us to be prepared for that day. Help us to live in light of the soon return of Jesus Christ. And Father, I pray that we would live in ways that honor and glorify You, taught by Your Word, led by Your Holy Spirit. We pray that You would do Your work in us today. And now, as we turn to Your Word, teach us from Your Word. Lead us with Your Holy Spirit. Open our eyes to see wonderful things, wonderful truths in Your Word today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want you to turn with me to first John chapter two and verse twenty-eight. First John chapter two and verse twenty-eight. And in a moment we're going to look at first John chapter two, beginning in verse twenty-eight, and I'm going to read through chapter three, verse three. And that might seem strange to read through a chapter heading and into the next, but this is actually one continuous paragraph. First John chapter two verses twenty-eight through chapter three verse three. This section of verses is actually a continuous unit even though it's separated by a chapter break. God did not put the chapter breaks in there Okay, when he, when he inspired the Word. That was later. And that's helpful to have those, but sometimes it causes a little bit of confusion for us. That is a continuous thought. And we're going to pick that thought up today. And we're going to begin this morning looking at the section of verses as a unit. But we are going to break it down into a series, a series within a series as it is. Our series here in 1 John. But this section of verses, 1 John chapter 2, verse 28 through chapter 3, verse 3, a brief series I'm calling Anticipating the Return of Christ. And so I want you to look at the verses together with me this morning, and then we're going to pick up and look closer at the first two verses that we read in a moment. But I want you to read with me and follow along with me as I read verses 28 through chapter 3, verse 3. 1 John 2, 28. And now, little children... Abide in Him, so that when He appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from Him in shame at His coming. If you know that He is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of Him. Chapter 3, verse 1, See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. By way of illustration this morning, I want you to think with me about how a how a young person, a teenager, a hypothetical young man, left at home for three days to care for the laundry and the dishes in the yard during his parents' brief absence, how he would respond to his responsibilities during those first three days alone, those few three days alone. This uh, hypothetical teenager has... Parents who are preparing to go away for three days, a a getaway, a husband and wife getaway for three days, something that they haven't done in a long time. Just before they leave, they give the following instructions to their son While we're gone, we want you to catch up on the laundry. It's a day or so behind. Catch up on the laundry. Keep the dishes clean. Don't let the dishes pile up while we're gone. Keep them clean and put away and mow the grass. We'll be back on Saturday at noon. The parents leave on Wednesday at noon. How do you suppose that young man would respond to the task given to him to accomplish while his parents are gone for three days? And right now, some of you are looking back to your teenage years, as I did when I wrote this and thought about this this week. I thought, hmm, how would I have responded? I know how I would have responded to that challenge. It's Wednesday, and you're not coming back till Saturday? Piece of cake. Do you suppose that this young man, a hypothetical young man, okay, I'm not thinking of anyone in particular, do you suppose that he would just jump right into the work as soon as his parents leave and seek to accomplish everything expected of him as quickly as possible? I know that some of you are that twisted <laughs> that you would have done that as a teenager that you are so weird that when your parents left, you'd have said, I'm going to do it now and get it all done. We were joking, the kids and I this week were joking about a t-shirt, Procrastinators United. Procrastinators United, it says on the front and on the back, it says tomorrow. I'm one of them. Do you suppose he just might dive right into the task at hand, or do you think he might wait until Saturday about 10, 11, something like that? That would have been me. Yeah. Now suppose this young man's parents had given the same set of instructions, do the dishes, catch up on the laundry, and mow the, mow the yard. Do you suppose if they'd given the same set of instructions with this clause, we'll be back any time? Expect us at any time. These are your responsibilities. You can expect us to return at any time. Do you suppose that how he approaches his responsibilities would be different depending on what he expects of his parents when he expects they might return? Absolutely. Had my parents left me on Wednesday and said, Expect us to return at any time. Here are the things that we want you to accomplish. I'd go, Oh boy. Are you sure you can't tell me when you're coming back? Just a little hint. My parents did that to me one time. They said, We're we're gonna go away and we're gonna come back later. And I thought meant I thought they meant later that day. And later that day came and, and went. It was ten o'clock at night, eleven o'clock at night. I'm thinking, where in the world are my parents? This is very unusual, very unusual. If you know my dad. He is, uh, that's very unusual. I remember watching him pace in front of the door when my younger brother got his driver's license and drove by himself for the first time. He paced in front of the door back and forth, waiting for him to return. I'm like, Dad, take it easy. Chill out just a little bit. I try not to do that myself. Um, so I, you know, knowing my parents, I'm thinking, where in the world are they? It's 11 o'clock at night. I call my brother-in-law. They're at my sister and brother-in-law's house. My brother Jim Evans, you know, some of you know him. He answers the phone really groggily sounding. I said, "Oh, Jim, I'm really sorry. You know that I got you up. I'm wondering where mom and dad are." He's like, "Don't worry about it. I had to get up, you know." And I said, "Are you okay?" He says, "No, I, I fell down the steps when I came to the phone." I was like, "Oh man, I'm really sorry." He's, "No, no, no, no. Don't worry about it. That's okay. I had to answer the phone anyway. You know, it's okay." And I was like, "Man, a sense of humor after falling down the steps." I said, "Do you know where mom and dad are? When did they leave?" He said, "They didn't leave. They're spending the night." Well, they didn't tell me that. Well, that was probably planned, you know, that they didn't want me to know they weren't coming back that night. I was like, well, never mind. Good night, you know. But do you suppose that having, I mean, at that time, I wondered when my parents might return. I kept things in order. I didn't know. Do you suppose that a young person having been told, do the dishes, do the laundry, mow the grass, we'll be back at any time, you think there's a little bit more of a priority given to those items that need to be done, correct? In the first instance, the uh, hypothetical young person doesn't expect his parents for three days. He may not get very serious about doing those dishes. He may not get very serious about doing the laundry and catching up on that or mowing the lawn until Saturday morning, right? But in the second instance, he doesn't know when they are going to return, but he wants to please his parents, as all good young people want to please their parents, right? And most do. I know that to be very true, that most young people want to please their parents, believe it or not. When parents express displeasure with young people, there's, there's some meaning to that. That's a meaningful experience. Most young people want to please their parents. And the young person who realizes, Mom and Dad could be back at any time, I better get busy because I don't know when they're going to return. I want them to know that I take their, their instructions seriously, that I'm not ignoring them, and I don't want to get in trouble. And I don't want to be penalized and grounded. But consider how disheartened the parent would be. Having said, catch up on the dishes, catch up on the laundry, mow the grass. They leave and come back the next day. And none of those things have been done. Having said, expect us to return at any time. Think about how disappointed the parents would be. Think about how ashamed the young person would be would be, or should be, right? Consider what a different picture this would be if that young man, knowing that his parents could return at any time, sets himself to the tasks at hand and, and tears into the laundry and throws the whites and the darks together and gets them all in the washer and doesn't care. Well, no, no, he's careful to, to separate the whites and darks, right? And to do those loads separately and to make sure the dishes are done and he goes out and mows the grass right away so that he can relax and hopefully enjoy himself while he waits his parents' return. And, and they do come back quicker than than he expects. And when they get back, they're pleased with him. And and in their brief absence, he is confident that he is doing what's expected of him, and he has no worries and concerns, and he's ready for them to return at any time. That's the role of the believer in Jesus Christ today. That's our role today as followers of Jesus Christ. If you have trusted in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, your role is to be ready for Jesus' soon return. To live as though the return of Christ could be at any moment. The passage we read read this morning at the end of chapter 2, the beginning of chapter 3 in 1 John, John is addressing believers here. John says in verse 28, look at it again with me. And now, in verse 28, little children... John is addressing believers in general here. I've noted it a couple of times here now in our study, that, and John has said this several times, little children, little children, we see it again in chapter 3. John is addressing believers in general here. It's a term that he's used several times in connection with believers. Believers are to live in anticipation of the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're reminded in this section of verses in the text here in chapter 2, in the beginning of chapter 3, that the Lord will return one day. We're reminded, Jesus will return one day. Verse 28 in chapter 2 says, When He appears. He's coming back. Be ready. When He appears. And then in verse 2 of chapter 3, When He appears. We know too from verse 2 that when He appears something else will occur. We will see Him. When He appears, we will see Him. And note also in verse 2 of chapter 3 that when we see Him, we will be like Him. This is truly amazing, isn't it? I mean, just stop and meditate on that, that thought for a moment. He will return. He will appear. When He appears, we will see Him. When we see Him, we will be like Him. The Lord will return. He will appear. And when He appears, we will be like Him. What a glorious time for believers to anticipate. What a glorious time for believers to live in anticipation of, pardon my English, right? My participle hung, didn't it? Live in anticipation of the return of Jesus Christ. Live as if it could be any moment because it could be any moment that Jesus Christ will return and He will appear and we will see Him and we will be like Him if you are a follower of Jesus Christ. In truth, we don't always live that way, do we? We don't live that way, do we? We often don't live that way. Often we live as if Jesus said, I'll see you on Saturday at noon, and it's Wednesday at noon. I'll see you in three days. Sometimes we live as if Jesus said, I'll see you in three weeks. Sometimes we live as if Jesus said, I'll see you in three months, or three years, or three decades. Don't we? The challenge for us as believers is to make sure that we realize and grasp the truth that Jesus could return at any moment and He wants us to be ready. Often we live as if there is no imminent return of Christ. But that is just what John is trying to combat here. And he's trying to combat it in his own life as well. Because of some things we'll see here, he's talking about his own life and and the lives of the believers to whom he's writing. And this is God's inspired Word, so this is written for us as well. The need for believers to live in anticipation of Christ's imminent return is just what John writes of in our passage today. And what John writes points to several characteristics of those who would properly live in anticipation of the return of Christ. This morning, I'd like to look at three of those characteristics of believers who are ready for the Lord's return in verses 28 and 29 of chapter 2. Now it's apparent from chapter 2, verse 28, that it's possible to be living without care, without a thought, without a care for the return of Christ since he says to believers, look at chapter 2, verse 28 again, he says to believers, Abide in Him so that when He appears we may have confidence and not shrink from Him in shame at His coming. Now apparently there will be some believers, sadly, there will be some believers who are ashamed, who shrink back momentarily, who are ashamed because, oh no, Jesus appeared and I'm not living for Him. The young man would have been ashamed had his parents had his parents arrived the next morning after leaving had it, had it having given him clear instructions and having discovered that he had not done anything required of him. They would have been disappointed and he would have been ashamed. Believers in Jesus Christ we will be ashamed even if just momentarily. As Jesus comes for us if we're not living for him if we're not taking seriously His commands. So John gives instruction and encouragement to the believers to be prepared for the Lord's return. And though we do not know when He will return, we do know that we are to live as though His return could be at any moment. Right? We know that, don't we? So what will be the characteristics of believers who are truly anticipating the return of Christ? I see three in verses 28 and 29. The first is this. Characteristic of believers who live in anticipation of Christ's return is that they abide in Him. They abide in Christ. Note John's instruction to believers. And now, little children, abide in Him. And John's writing this for himself as well because he says, Abide in Him so that when He appears, we we may have confidence. You see, John's reminding himself as he reminds believers, Hey, I'm one of you. I'm I'm a follower of Christ too, and I need to abide in Him as well. All believers need to abide in Christ. Believers who live in anticipation of the return of Christ abide in Christ. They abide in Him. Meaning that they continue to faithfully serve Christ. Meaning that they read God's Word. Meaning that they obey God's Word. Meaning that they take time to pray to God because He communicates to us through His Word. We communicate to Him through prayer. And so believers who abide, read, and obey God's Word and talk to Him in prayer and walk with Him faithfully... Speaking of how believers abide in Christ, Charles Spurgeon said, Abide in the Lord Jesus Christ in making Him the constant object of your life. As you live by Christ, so live for Christ. You get what he's saying? As you live by Christ, the Holy Spirit empowering you, so live for Christ. Ever since you trusted in Christ as dying for you, You have felt that if He died for you, then you died in in Him, that from now on your life might be consecrated to Him. You are not your own, but you are Christ's and Christ's only. The first object of your being is to honor and serve Him who loved you and gave Himself for you. You have not followed after wealth, or honor or self-pleasing, but you have followed Jesus, take heed that you abide in him by continuing to serve him. Believers who abide in Christ, who continue to serve Christ, cling to Christ. Believers who abide in him cling to Christ. Not the ungodly, un like things of this world. We don't cling to the things in this world, the temporary things that won't survive, that are ungodly. We don't cling to those things. We cling to Christ. That's where we should be clinging. That's the truth John speaks of that we saw back in chapter 2, verses 15 through 17. Back up for a moment. 1 John chapter 2 and verse 15. We need to realize that believers who abide are clinging to Christ. They're not clinging to the things in this world. World, These earthly things, verse 15 in chapter 2, John says, "...do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride and possessions, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever." It is just, also it's just as John says in 1 John chapter 2, verse 6. Back up to verse 6. That whoever says he abides in Him ought to walk in the same way in which He walked. Jesus. We are to walk. We are to live as Christ lived. He is our example. And God the Holy Spirit indwells us to make it possible for us to follow Christ's example. Otherwise, we could not. We also learn from 1 John chapter 2 and verse 14 that believers are strong for overcoming the evil one when the Word of God abides in them. So, uh, abiding in Him, abiding in Christ, includes reading and obeying God's Word. It's not just being saved. It's adhering, applying yourself to God's commands and God's Word and letting, letting God's Word change you from the inside out. Abiding in Christ is letting God's Word abide in you and change you day by day, obedience by obedience. Abiding in Christ includes and, and consists of knowing what God's Word says and searching God's words for not, not to, to decide some theological debate, but studying God's Word so that God's Word will change your heart and mind and soul and make you like Christ as you live for Him and learn from His Word and allow the Holy Spirit to do its work. also characteristic of believers who live in anticipation of Christ's return, number two, is that they live with confidence. They live with confidence. Note chapter 2, verse 28 again. And now, little children, abide in Him so that when He appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from Him in shame at His coming. You see, those who abide in Christ can be confident that they will not be ashamed at the appearing of Christ. Isaiah chapter 26 and verse 3 is a very helpful reminder for us when it says, You keep Him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you, for He trusts in you. You see, those who stay their mind, their heart, and soul on God, who keep themselves in God's Word and faithfully obey and serve God and serve Christ can live with the confidence that they have no need to be ashamed on the day of the Lord's coming. Those who keep their mind on Christ have no need to be ashamed when Christ returns. But I want you to note that this is not self-confidence. We need to be very careful with this. Because the world would have you believe that you need to be confident in yourself. You need to be self-assured and self-confident. I was surprised, but not terribly surprised, when scanning the TV channels the other day. We, We stopped to hear a TV preacher for a few moments, and he was talking about how you need to build yourself up. And talk to yourself, and tell yourself you're beautiful, and tell yourself you're awesome, and tell yourself how great you are, and tell yourself how good you are at everything that you do. And I I couldn't help but think, that's not God's Word. God's Word doesn't tell us to think about how great we are. It tells us to think about how terrible we are. So that we will humble ourselves before God who redeems us from that pit that we're lost in. And so our confidence is not in ourselves by any stretch. God wants you to be good at what you do. God wants you to live a sinless life. He doesn't want you to sin. That's why John's writing. We've seen it in 1 John. I'm writing so that you will not sin. Now we're going to find it very difficult not to sin, but we can live for Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit, not in ourselves. It is not in and of ourselves. It is not our confidence this is not confidence that's even gained by keeping some list of rules. And we could easily do that. As we trek through God's Word, we could go, oop, there's something important, write a rule. There's another thing, let's write a rule. If I keep these rules, I'll be okay. No, God wants you to know His Word, so His Word will transform your thinking, so you don't need a list of rules. And list-keeping list and rule-keeping will not save you. And list-keeping and rule-keeping will not give you the kind of confidence that you can only have through Jesus Christ. And so, note that this is not self confidence. This is not confidence that's gained because of some sort of self discipline and keeping rules. This is confidence that's based on and founded in and kept by Christ. Jesus' own words remind us in the Gospel of John, chapter 15, and verse 4 to abide in Christ. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch. We're the branch. We're the branches. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. Remember, you abide in the vine, and your confidence is in the vine. Your confidence is not in yourself. And those who abide in him bear fruit in keeping with whom they abide, and they know the fruit is not of themselves, it is of and because of Jesus Christ. It reminds me of the hymn. The hymn writer says, Jesus paid it all. All to Him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. And we can be confident that for the day of the Lord's return, because our confidence rests on the finished work of Christ on our behalf to save us from our sins. Nothing we can do can accomplish that. And so our confidence is in Jesus Christ. Do not be numbered among those of whom verse 19 speaks, which we noted not too long ago when it says, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. Specifically, I think talking about unbelievers who were teaching false falsehoods about God's Word, and then they went out from the fellowship because they really weren't of Christ. People today hearing the Gospel truth from Jesus Today, realizing that your hope can only be in Jesus Christ, do not be like those who went out from us because they weren't of Christ. Put your hope in God. Confess your sin and trust in Jesus Christ. Pray to God and confess your sin and ask Him to save you from your sin because you believe in Jesus Christ and you will be saved and your confidence will be in Jesus Christ. So very characteristic of believers who live in anticipation of Christ's return is that they have the ability to live with confidence. Thirdly, a third characteristic of believers who live in anticipation of Christ's return is that they practice righteousness. They practice righteousness. Note in verse 29, John says, Chapter 2, verse 29, If you know that He is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of Him. You see, the practice of righteousness ought to be apparent in the life of a believer. It ought to be obvious in the life of a follower of Christ. You see, those who observe the life of a believer should be able to observe the practice of righteousness. As a matter of fact, That is where your testimony had better begin. You want to be a testimony in this community and on the job and in the workplace and in the business arena, you need to live for Christ. The practice of righteousness ought to be apparent in your life, ought to be obvious to those around you. And you need to realize and we need to understand that the practice of righteousness is not so that we can be saved our righteousness does not save us. Because certainly, there are some quote-unquote good people in this world by human standards. By God's standard, there is no, no, no such thing as a good person. Because we're all sinners, aren't we? But in this world, we can look around and say, oh, they're a good person. They're pretty good. They do some good things. And those good things do not save you, do they? It is only the shed blood of Jesus Christ on your behalf that gives you forgiveness for your sin and makes you acceptable to God. And the practice of righteousness is not so that you can obtain salvation. The practice of righteousness is the outworking the evidence of your salvation. And that evidence ought to be apparent to those around you. Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7 reminds us, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. And verse 7 says, Rooted, built up in Him, established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. You see, the one who trusts in Christ, the one who receives Christ, should also walk in Him. And the believer should be rooted and built up in Christ. He or she should be established in the faith and growing in the faith. So believers who are anticipating the, the soon return of Jesus Christ, practicing righteousness. These are just a few of the characteristics that should be true of the follower of Christ. And we'll see more next time, Lord willing, as we proceed into chapter 3. The believer, the follower of Jesus Christ who is anticipating the return of Christ, that believer in Jesus Christ abides in Christ stays with Christ. That is, he, he lives in faithful obedience to Jesus Christ. He takes God's Word and he makes it his own. He makes Christ the, the focus of his life. And what God's Word says is guidebook to obedience to Jesus Christ. And he searches the Word so that he can know God better and love God more and more readily obey God in every way of living. Because of the work of Christ in the believer, and it is a work that Jesus Christ does in us, because of the work of Jesus Christ in the believer, the believer in Jesus Christ lives with confidence. Confidence in Jesus Christ. Confidence because Jesus Christ is doing the work in the believer. When we read the Word and submit ourselves to Him and humble ourselves before Him, and in gratitude... Because gratitude ought to come next when you realize what Jesus Christ has done for you and how He's working in and through you. And in gratitude, the believer practices righteousness. Because you are saved. Because Jesus is doing a work in you, you practice righteousness. The believer who is living in anticipation of the return of Jesus Christ obeys God's Word. Warren Wearsby notes, no matter... In which direction a Christian looks, he finds reason to obey God. If he looks back, he sees Calvary, where Christ died for him. If he looks within, he sees the Holy Spirit who lives within and teaches him the truth. If he looks around, he sees his Christian brethren whom he loves. He also sees the world lost in sin, desperately needing his godly witness. And if he looks ahead, he sees the return of Christ. And then quoting 1 John 3.3, And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself even as he is pure. And he closes on this note, The return of Christ is a great inspiration for godly living. Why do we live in anticipation of the return of Christ? Because He is going to return. He is going to return. We don't know when. And He doesn't want us to know when. He wants us to live for Him every day until He comes. And when He comes, He will reveal Himself and we will see Him. And when we see Him, we will become like Him. What a glorious day! And you do not want to be ashamed on that day. We live in anticipation of the return of Jesus Christ because everywhere we look, as Weersby says, everywhere we look, We have reason to obey God. We want to please the One who has saved us and redeemed us for His own. Amen? And so, we anticipate the return of Jesus Christ with great hope, with great confidence, with obedience. We abide in Him. We live with confidence. And we practice righteousness. Let me pray for you today. Father in heaven, we come before You thanking You that as little children of Yours, we have the ability to abide in Christ because of Christ. And we have the ability to obey and live faithfully for Christ and stay in the Word and learn from the Word and be be moved by the Word and by the Holy Spirit because of Christ. And we have the ability to live with great confidence so that when Christ returns, we would not shrink back from Him in shame. And so, Lord, I pray, help us to hope in Him and purify ourselves as He is pure. Help us to keep our hope in Christ in the truths that we know from Your Word and help us, Lord, to be a pure people molded and shaped by Your Word and Your Holy Spirit so that we might be a pure people for our pure Savior. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.